It's only a kick. A jump. A block. It's only a serve. It's only a tackle. A run. It's only for the fans. After all, it's only pressure. You got this. Adidas. With threats to our nation waiting around every corner, adaptability is more important than ever. When conditions change without notice, quick strategic thinking is crucial. And with obstacles consistently impending, determination is essential in overcoming them. It's this willingness, decisiveness, and resilience that sets Marines apart. With our fighting spirit, we don't just fight battles, we win them. Marines are the constant our nation counts on to fight the unknown. And through adaptable problem solving, we do just that. Learn more at Marines.com. This week on Barca Talk, FC Barcelona is well represented in the World Cup final. Two new signings look to be strengthening the squad, and there's talk of more signings to come. The Spanish Super Cup will be played as a one-off match, and Luis Enrique has been hired to manage Spain. Welcome to Barca Talk, everyone. I'm Brian Henderson, coming to you from my new apartment in Buffalo, New York. And joining me, as always, from Madrid, Spain, is Gabriel Quiroga. Brian, my question for you is, is your apartment as cozy as mine is here in Madrid? It is less cozy than your apartment, I think. I've never seen your place, but we just, we really stepped up into a new place. I was in my workspace, in my studio this morning, and Megan was in her studio this morning, which is on the other end of the apartment, and I wanted to tell her something, so I texted texted her. That's how much more space we have in this new place. Amazing. I'm very jealous. Um, as, you know, we do these podcasts through video. So you're looking behind. This is basically my apartment. Oh, right that's here. it. So, huh? <laughs> 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 no, I think it's the kitchen's on the other side of the wall. But other than that, it's pretty much here. So yeah, well, that's great. I mean, now you have more space and uh, more leg room. Yeah, you know, in our last place, we was so small that our living room and our bedroom was actually the same room. So we were living as a married couple, kind of studio apartment style. And now we have a dedicated living room, our, a dedicated bedroom, and we each have our own studios. And we still have a dining room that we're uh, not sure what to do with entirely. Because it's just a lot of space. It's great. Uh, we've We've really hit the Buffalo jackpot here. <laughs> i love that the buffalo jackpot it's a thing man i'm telling you yeah, yeah. but th- it was it was not without its uh its obstacles for the main thing was we could not get the box spring for our bed up the stairs because there just wasn't enough vertical clearance for it to fit up there so i wound up uh ripping off all of the um covering for it and dismantling the box spring so a project that i have Uh, ahead of me now is to reassemble the box spring and there's staples sticking out of the wood everywhere i gotta take all take care of all the staples and then i gotta nail it back together well you just gotta do it like they do here in europe and just move it up out through the window you know i wish (laughs) i mean i wish we had a window big enough but we don't yeah anyway (laughs) so we just we just got finished watching the match and what'd you think what'd you think of that final i thought it was a good final you know i don't like world cup finals that wind up being you know super defensive it goes 120 minutes it goes to shots from the mark and it's just you know it's it's boring they both came to play and they both played and sure a lot of this stuff happened off of set plays which is more like american football than actual football but but you know it's part of the game it's it's a way you can get an edge it both worked out and I thought it was a great game. Um, I wish the score had been maybe one goal closer, but 
Yeah. That's my um, only real complaint. Yeah. I mean, you know how you were saying you don't like the 1-0? I do, especially for World Cup final, because I just think there's so much on the line for this match. You know, it's a one-off match, right? So you a little bit of luck, a little bit of here, a little bit of there, right? And we saw the first goal. It was an old goal by Croatia, you know, yeah. the Mandzukic header. So little things like that, and that just gave France the momentum. But let's just go back to a couple of things, man. Mbappe, Mbappe, wow. He is so – I mean – I mean, we saw against Argentina, like, how fast he was compared to those guys. And I think it was a little bit of that today, too, as well, where the back line of Croatia isn't as fast. And it just made Mbappe look even that much quicker, especially on a couple of those counters where they would just throw those long balls to Mbappe and he would just win him 1v1. And his speed is just – I can't remember a player, the last player in a long time, that had that type of speed where you were – you could see it develop from a long ball, and he just wins it every time. Yeah, I mean, he is ridiculously fast. I'm that's I, I, I'm still uh, I'm still double. I'm going to double down, and I, I'm still glad <laughs> that we have Dembele and not Mbappe. But <laughs> I know, I know, I know you. I know. But you yeah, feel. he was he was monstrous with his speed, and uh, he, that the goal he scored was an incredible finish. I'm not saying that he's not an incredible player. He obviously is, and so young. I mean, he's got years of brilliance ahead of him we're going to be seeing him and I think I think he might even maybe move away from PSG but at the same time maybe I he's part of this larger project with PSG you know so maybe he'll leave maybe he'll stay but uh, they're going to start winning more as he continues to develop I think and then the other thing too when I was watching this match is how did they lose to Portugal (laughs) in the Euro Cup final I mean I just still kind of I'm flabbergasted by that because they weren't just fully the seasoned sh- yet. That's the thing. They- yeah, I know. But surely just by the talent and the speed, they should have done better in that match. And it's just crazy to me because if they would have won that and this, you know, you're talking about how young that, you know, they're the second youngest team in the world cup, the amount of talent they had, they still had tons of talent on the bench as well. I mean, they took out Conte in what the 60th minute or something yeah. or 50th minute. And then they just put in Zanzi and it's just like, what? Still solid. <laughs> Exactly, exactly. It's like maybe a little bit of a drop off of the the hustle meter, but <laughs> Zanze is is such a good uh, stop. He's a stopper midfielder, you know. And I don't know. I, like you said, I thought it would, you know I had no really routine interest in this match. I just kind of want to watch a good match, and that's what we got. And the other thing too, Croatia had so much possession, but again, they were unable to get to that last cross, that last ball to really put a lot of danger in the box. I mean, Manzucic had a couple plays there, here and there, but at, for the most part, the crosses were bad and they just couldn't get that final ball into the defense. So again, France's I don't know. I, I thought a lot of the balls that Croatia sent in were great. They were really good balls, but they didn't have guys on the end. That's what I mean. That's what I mean. Yeah, they didn't have guys on the end. But also, but like just... the balls in themselves were great. Modric yeah, yeah, and yeah. Rakitic were both putting in beautiful bombs and they just didn't have enough people in the box to get on the end of them. And the other thing too is like we record we're recording this part right now. We recorded the second half about, you know, our midfield in Barcelona, you know, Rakitic and I say later in the podcast that, it, you know, I'm not sure if he's an elite uh, midfielder. I'm not quite there yet, but he's definitely, I mean, he showed in this match how good he can be when he doesn't have to have so many defensive responsibilities in Val Green's system. And he had a great match today. Yeah. And I, I wonder, what do you think about Rakitic in terms of his, um, his longevity and his arc? Do you think that he's already sort of past his prime or do you think he's in it right now? Or is he actually still getting to it? I think he's, you know, I would say more kind of in the beginning, but entering it, you know. I think being at Barcelona with the experience he has in Champions League and now obviously World Cup final, he's going to be able to bring that type of class 
to the team now, right? He has all this experience, and I just think he's going to be have a great season going forward. You know, before he was always a great player at Sevilla, but now you know he scored the uh, goal in the Champions League final, you know, against Juventus, and he won that. And now just getting to this point, you know, this is kind of something on his own with Modric. You know what I'm saying? Right. And so with that, he was able to they basically carry the team through the whole tournament, and I think that's really going to give him the confidence to just take more chances. I mean, that's really what he doesn't do in Barcelona. He doesn't really take those chances with those balls. And maybe this will kind of open that door. And if that opens up that part of his game, that'll just help us even better in the season. Well, yeah, and I think it comes down a lot to uh, what Val Green asks him to do. If he asks him to take more risks and be more forward, he'll do it and he'll do a great job. But if he is asking him to drop back more and support Busquets more and that sort of thing, it's going to be a little... It's going to be hit and miss. It's going to be half and half, you know? Yeah. And let me see. The other thing that stood out to me is um, Giroud. This guy yeah. doesn't even show up. I mean, this guy, I know he holds the ball and he does a couple of things, but man, he just, he doesn't do anything. You know, if you take him out and just put Dembele or just another forward in there, I think you may get a little bit more productivity up at that point. But he, I think he only had one goal this whole World Cup and he just, and I know Deschamps uses him as a point man to hold the ball and stuff, and that's what he does. But, man, I just think – I think he's super overrated. I do think he's overrated, but I also think that he he's nominally in the role of a goal scorer, but I don't think that's really his function. I mean, that's what you're supposed to do as a forward, right? That's like what – Presumably, <laughs> <laughs> but maybe you know? it's, a, it's a different kind of false nine. <laughs> yeah, the false nine that doesn't score, right? Right. Um, yeah, the non-scoring yeah. nine. It's a it's a new tactical uh, innovation, <laughs> and Giroud is yeah. is the prototype. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> and and I guess also too just the defense of Varane and Titi, just um, that center back pairing, the battery back there, just really solid all World Cup. They had yeah. a really great campaign, and they're so young. I mean, I just love you know I just saw on Twitter Varane's resume now. You know, with La Liga titles, Champions League titles, now World Cup. He has a really impressive resume. Umtiti just started with Barcelona, so his resume is not as good. But for me, I, I prefer Umtiti. I think Umtiti plays better with his feet. But both those guys, man, they, they're they so young and they're so strong in the air. They just know how to cover everything. And in this match, like you said, there was a lot of balls. But the reason why they couldn't get to Mandzukic's head because they were clearly covered by Umtiti or Varane. Yeah, smothered even. Just exactly. <laughs> completely. Exactly. So, yeah, I'm just uh, watching this match made me very grateful to have both Rakitic and Umtiti. Yeah, definitely. And I guess the last note for me is just the amount of La Liga players in this final. I mean, there yeah. is, you know, the majority of the, the stars and the players are in La Liga. And again, it just goes to the marketing thing that we always talk about, you know, in this match, you know, you have Griezmann, Umtiti. I mean, we just go down the list. Modric, Rakitic, right? Uh-huh. And these are all the players that everyone is talking about or are talking about. They're the stars, and they make La Liga great. But if you're not following La Liga like we are, you kind of just miss them, you know? Like, for example, I feel like before the match, Pogba was getting a lot more attention than any of the other players just because he plays for Manchester United. There's a lot better uh, marketing behind that. And, yeah, he scored a goal tonight, but... I mean, I Rakitic's performance for me was was great today for Croatia. Obviously, Modric had a great World Cup. Yeah, absolutely. And, you know, just the La Liga players in general in the World Cup as well. Yeah, if only La Liga could figure out a way to parlay that into you know. some more interest or excitement about La Liga. I, yeah. If only there were some way they could do that. 
Yeah, yeah. Just hire a new marketing manager. Uh-huh. Maybe, yeah, maybe, <laughs> yeah, maybe, maybe someone named Gabriel. <laughs> yeah, yeah. No, but I mean, you know, like no, you talk- can't though, because then you wouldn't. They wouldn't let you do this podcast if you got that job. <laughs> that that is true. You might have to but retire. You know, like for example, you know, when you talk to, um, for example, Americans who follow football or soccer they're always most likely going to see the premier league. Right. right. And that's no one really ever says La Liga first, you know, no. and that's kind of the, the thing that we're talking about. And that so, should be the goal. I think exactly. is to get people to yeah. say La Liga first. Exactly. Especially with the teams. Yeah. So those, those were my, my kind of points of the matchup. Like I said, I thought it was entertaining. I, I think if Croatia were able to score within the first 10 minutes after the second half, I think that would have really gave them some more momentum and confidence, but with the counter-attack goal with Pogba, that just kind of put the game away. Yeah, yeah, that kind of took the air out. Though, Although I would say that Croatia, at least in their minds, I think they really were fighting until the end. But it just started to get really desperate and sloppy. And, and that's normal when it's a World Cup final. There's a lot of pressure. You're two goals down, and you're just trying whatever you think you might work. And it, it, it just doesn't come together. That's really normal. Uh, it's hard to really keep your head in the game and make all the right moves in that situation especially in the first 10 minutes they brought it to france right i mean they really um made sure that they let france know that they were here to play um you know just the only thing is just france's talent is just so much superior that it just overwhelmed them eventually but you know croatia had a great campaign you know all those guys are probably on their last world cups for the most part you know yeah um depending on what they what happens but um you know they they did the best uh, campaign in their in their history for such a small country it's pretty amazing yeah and again why is it the u.s better it just doesn't make any sense you know this country has what four million people or something <laughs> yeah but we don't really like soccer so no i know i understand this i understand this. Yeah, so it's, it's the but um i mean how would you how would you rate the overall world cup the overall i thought this was a a good tournament in that there were a lot of fun surprises uh there were plenty of stories to talk about if you wanted to dig into all of the stories uh, of course, we focused most of our efforts here on you know Barcelona players and that sort of thing. But I thought it was a great tournament overall. Uh, I was really, really into Belgium and England and the, how they surprised me. Um, Germany getting knocked out was an interesting surprise. Of course, uh, Argentina was one of those things that, again, made me sad for Messi. But it was absolutely no surprise because there's all kinds of holes in Argentina. So, I mean, I think it was a, it was a good tournament. I thought the VAR worked really well. I think that's a good innovation. Um, yeah, I give it thumbs up. And what's funny is I'm looking ahead to the next one in Qatar, and I think it's going to be the worst World Cup in modern history. I mean, and like something like 4,000 people have already died just yeah, like building the stadiums and stuff from the heat. It's going to be the worst. So at least we had yeah. this one, which I thought was actually pretty good. Yeah, I mean, I would agree. You know, for me, I, you know, I love the World Cup so much. I think overall, just the surprises, you know, just the, the perennial giants falling, um, Spain's campaign, how bad they did. Um, but also just, I would say, the rise of Mbappe. Obviously, France finally, you know, getting the World Cup title. And um, yeah, I mean, I and also the VAR experience, I thought they did such a a great job of implementing it very, you know, even in the final, you know, people argued on, you know, online and Twitter and stuff and saying that, you know, if it wasn't VAR, it wouldn't be a penalty. But that's the point, you know, there's video replay. And you can't argue with that, you know, obviously, it's a little bit of a judgment call there. But Overall, I think the VAR experience was good. Now, I'm scared about the VAR experience in La Liga. I don't think it's going to go right. as smooth. <laughs> but that's that's because of La Liga's uh, poorness in, in officiating Just and training their referees and supporting yeah. their referees. 
They are getting training on VAR right now, actually, as we speak. Yeah. The, uh, except maybe for Laos. I, although I think Laos might have already gotten his ticket back home at this point. So, yeah. So, I, you know, like I said, I'm sad to see it go. But now I'm ready for La Liga. Just kind of skip through. Now we get all those transfer rumors. But um, so well, And, and don't forget International Champions Cup. Well, you can, you can, yeah, I'm so excited for that one. Well, it's our preseason. <laughs> it's where we get to see, you know, uh, yeah, yeah. our new players in action. And I think that, that will true. be fun. Of course, it's, it's no, it's zero stakes, but correct. speaking correct. of stakes though, final thing. You beat me to the punch. Uh-huh. Is the bracket <laughs> challenge. The bracket challenge, uh, we have to give it up uh, because our man, Michael Miller, president of the club La Grana de Montreal, won our bracket challenge in the World Cup with 202 points. I came in second with 196. Someone going by the name Kool-Aid for Life was in third with 178. And my wife, Megan, took fourth with 171. And you wound up uh, in sixth, not too bad, with 166 points. And... So Megan wanted me to give you some grief back because she had Croatia going to the semifinal and you gave her a lot of grief for that. But look how wrong you were and how much better than you she did. Yeah, that is true. So, <laughs> yes, she is smarter at picking teams than I am. So, But we talked about this when we were talking to the teams, remember? I just said I'm just picking Spain because I want Spain to win. Right, me too. And that was my only reasoning, right? And. And I think Megan picked uh, Croatia because she likes red and white. I think that was no. <laughs> part of it. No, but she likes Rakitic, and she's and I mean, it's when you go through the whole process, you look at the group and you say, okay, well, yeah. I could see this happening in the group, and then once you make those decisions, it's it's a one v one situation until you get to the end, and you know, decision by decision, it just got her to to that. And this was a bizarre World Cup. I mean, so many surprises and upsets and things we did not see coming. So, you know, this this could have gone so many different ways. That's the thing, right? It's just like at the NCAA basketball tournament. You know, after the first two days, everyone thinks they're a genius. And then going up to that uh, point, you know, everyone starts to drop off. So I give Megan a lot of credit. She did very well. I did very poorly. But, but I think you're I a blame. genius, so... Well, <laughs> I, I mainly uh, blame Spain for, for my debacle. Yes, I blame Spain for most of my problems. But also hats off to Michael Miller. Uh, yes. Shout out once again. And I know that you're doing good work with your own uh, French language podcast, Blaugrana Pod. And, you know, I hope that's going well. And, of course, the uh, Club Blaugrana de Montreal. Uh, I'm sure you guys are doing some good work as well, or you're looking forward to a new season as we are. Now, we also have some new signing talk to get into. Two new signings this past week, both of them sort of splashy. But before we really dive into those, Arthur and Lung Le, uh, there was something that you wanted to talk about with the, the recent um, departure of Ronaldo from Real Madrid to Juventus. Yeah, you know, this is one of the things um, we kind of just talked briefly about. I think it's one of the major differences between the way Real Madrid does... Um, handles their business and Barcelona with their players. I just feel there's more loyalty. And I know that's kind of a cliche thing in sports, but I just feel there's a little bit more loyalty on Barcelona's side. Just how we, for example, when we, when we um, said goodbye to Xavi and Iniesta, and I know those were planned, right? So I, I get that. So that's the biggest difference, but you know, just you take the two most important players in the last 30 years of real Madrid's history, or even 50 years, Iker Casillas and Ronaldo and they barely got anything, a letter. Yeah, Casillas was sent out the back door. Exactly. It was a communication letter just basically saying, thanks for Ronaldo. They put together a six-minute highlight reel. And I get it. Like, he, he wanted this divorce to happen, too. But there could have, you know, you can make it, amp like, 
you can work it out where you present Ronaldo to the fans one last time, you know, and that could have been done a nice gesture, but no, he's just, he's gone to Juventus already. And it's just, it's crazy how La Liga just already changes like that. Now, Real Madrid, I mean, I understand they still have Benzema and Bale, but there really aren't any other players at the current moment that really scare me or put, you know, fear into me as they did before with Ronaldo. Yeah, right now, now with Ronaldo gone, I think that Real Madrid looks threatening in a couple more years. They've laid some good groundwork with, you know, they've got Isco, so he's great. Um, Asensio looks really good for the future. But at the moment, no, you're right. I don't think anyone totally scares me. And I mean, they still have a good team. They're going to be competitive. But yeah, they don't have anyone close to, you know, the, the, the power of Ronaldo at this point. It's just crazy, you know, the amount of goals that he scored in the nine-year career with Real Madrid, the, the amount of trophies he's done, and just the goodbye, you know, it's just out the door, same, same kind of thing. So um, I'm curious to see who they bring in, especially with all this new money that they have, and they're looking to bring Hazard in. So we'll see how that goes. But um, And I just read today that that's been shut down, um, but there's also talk that, uh, well, we're going to talk about this in a minute, actually, but there's talk that Barca is trying to make a move for Hazard. Yeah, so that's that's the latest rumor. But enough of Real Madrid's woes and despedidas, goodbyes. Yeah. Um, let's, talk, let's talk about our new player, Arthur. So did you watch the Arthur presentation? I did, and I watched I watched most of it because I happened to be home when it was uh, being broadcast live on, on YouTube. And, you know, it was all pretty standard, you know, a few minutes of watching them just sign contracts. And there's a lot of signatures and uh, initialing to do every page. Uh, but anyway, signing of contracts pictures holding up jerseys of course Bartomeo is a little bit awkward um but you know it was a little subdued overall because they were they're uh, doing construction right now at Camp Nou so it wasn't completely open to the public there was just a small group from the press and people who were on the Camp Nou tour they were allowed in but um his presentation on the pitch I think was the moment to watch because we remember last year when Paulinho was signed and presented and his juggling was, you know, very unimpressive. And it a lot of us didn't feel great about that signing to begin with. And then we saw that as a moment where the proof, right, that this was not a great idea. And then he changed he changed our minds and won our hearts. And now he left like the Western hero that he is. But uh, I think Arthur did a had a great presentation. He got out there on the on the pitch with with a ball. He did some very nice juggling. I love that. I don't know, I, for anyone who's experienced, maybe it's not a big deal. But for me, it's super impressive how you can just stall it and like catch the ball right on your foot. And he does that so effortlessly. He did two of those. Some really nice juggles. He like worked it up from his feet to his thighs, and he was just so in control. And then his first message to the fans was in Catalan, which I thought was a very slick move. Uh, he got So he got everything right. I think he had a really successful presentation, and I'm pretty excited to have him on on the team. You know, with these juggling, I would be so nervous, you know, because you know this is going to be on YouTube forever, you know? Right. <laughs> um, and it was, you know, juggling is something I was able to do very easily, but, you know, when you have the pressure on that many people and, you know, you're signing to this new club, I just, I probably would have failed. But, uh, yeah, I, that's a really interesting point that you said that um, he was able to say the message in Catalan, so... He has a very, very smart agent. Right? Yeah. Like, <laughs> but, but overall, Repeat I think, after you know, me. <laughs> yeah, 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 exactly. Um, but, you know, I think, you know, this and Lenglet's presentations and deals, I think those are really great deals to get done this summer to really kick it off. Um, I think we're looking impressive to build our bench a little bit stronger. But remember, I messaged you. I told you yesterday, or not yesterday, I think during the week, I said, uh, we still have Andres Gomes and Paco on the team, which is yeah. insane. 
insane to me. <laughs> it is insane. It's insane to me. And I've been I've been looking. I've been looking for any reports of other clubs showing interest. There doesn't seem to be a whole lot. Uh, hopefully, uh, because I don't think the Valverde really has Paco or uh, particularly Gomes. I really don't think he has them in his plans very much for the next year. And with these new signings, so I just don't see any space for Gomes at this point. Yeah, I mean, I don't either. And I really hope they can just offload him somewhere. Uh, I don't mind keeping Paco. I like having Paco as a sub for Luis Suarez if he gets an injury or just needs a break here and there. I think he's still a solid um, point man to have. But Andres Gomes, I just think, needs to go uh, for especially the money and the style as we talked about all season last season. So I think hopefully if Arthur has a good preseason, he'll be able to push out Andres Gomes on the depth chart. Yeah. Yeah. I completely agree. I, again, I just don't think Valverde has much in store for Gomes and, but at the same time, I also like having Paco in uh, on the bench, as long as he's happy to stay, I'm happy to keep him uh, as a backup for Suarez. Yeah, I agree. And, you know, hopefully this season that Val Val Green will be able to use the bench a little bit more, so that Paco hopefully gets some more playing time, you know, as we talked about in the early uh, matches of Copa del Rey and Champions League matches when they're not so important yet to give our guys some breaks here and there. Yeah, and, you know, I was thinking just the other day about Valverde and and how he managed or kind of failed to manage rotation, especially last year around the Champions League uh, situation where we lost to Roma. And I just think that, like, I don't think he's ever had a, a squad that's this good that like he can count on that much uh you know he's for years he was at athletic bilbao where like every week they they were a good team but they were always scrapping things out and always having to grind it uh and i think he was just so used to that i don't know it's it's a working theory i don't have it completely fleshed out in my mind yet but i think that he just last year i think he suffered a little bit from uh not loser's syndrome but you know uh subpar syndrome and that's what led to some of his choices in in those later months of the season, and that's why we lost the Champions League ultimately. Yeah, I mean, I would agree. I'm again at these big clubs. It's so important how you manage the roster for the long marathon that there's so many competition and matches. Hopefully, Valverde now with the experience of the first year of how it went, um, he'll be able to manage the roster just a little bit better. You know, like we talked about have more confidence with your bench players. Just let them get those points. And it doesn't have to be a 4 nothing win. You know, it doesn't always have to be like that. If we can get the points in crucial spots where it gives our starters a break, then that's huge going forward. Yeah. Now, getting back to the, the new signings real quick, because I thought it was interesting that the club made sure to create space for Arthur's presentation, even though they already knew that Longley's signing was done. Because the moment that Arthur's presentation was over, the club announced Longley's signing. So they paid his buyout clause from Sevilla, 35.9 million euro, and presented him the very next day, two signings and two presentations in two days. And now that both of them are, are already on the training pitch. Yeah, I, I mean, I like this, obviously, with um, giving us more depth in center back. Um, but, I, you know, I've seen a lot of people on social media clamoring for Yuri Mina to leave. I don't think he should. I think we should keep him at least for one more year. You know, we got him on the cheap. Just let's see what he can do this year with a full season, full training camp. And maybe he pairs up well with Lingley. We don't know. Uh, we need to have, you know, we need to have all three of those guys in TT, 
PK, um, Linglet and um, uh, Mina, because, you know, just throughout the season, you know, we don't know if we're going to get an injury breaks, this type of thing. So for me, I want to keep Mina one more year. I think we're set at center back. I think we're saw And obviously we still have Vermalin too. As well, I was I, thinking like if we have PK, Umtiti, Yerimina and Longley, particularly with Longley signing, is that the club sort of politely showing Vermalin the door because they don't seem to be making any moves to get rid of him at this point. Uh, you know, he just played in the third place match for the World Cup the other day, and he looked pretty decent. Yeah, I mean, that's the thing, right? We, As we talked about with center backs, they're an important position. I remember at one point in the season, we had so many injuries that we needed, you know, we had to patch uh, a center back pairing up there. So I would keep Vermaelen one more year. I mean, I don't think it's that bad, you know, to keep those five guys. I think that'll be okay. You know, I, I think obviously the price for Linglet is, is a nice price. It's 35. It's not too, too over the top. And he had a great season last season. He knows La Liga. So that's another great, um, you know, addition to have on our team. So I look forward to see what he can do. I mean, these are Arthur and Linglet are guys that are hopefully going to be on the team for the next five years. So it, they're not probably, they're probably not going to get that much playing time as a starter this, this season, but it's for the future. And so that's what uh, we're planning on. Right. It's sort of like it reminds me of uh, I was just watching First Team Juventus on Netflix the other day. Have you seen this show? It's really fun. No, I haven't. What it's, is it? Oh, it's a documentary series that followed Juventus through their season last year. So like it, the first part of it was released at the beginning of last calendar year. And it had and it covered the the first part of that season. So it was all really fresh. Right. And then they just released the uh, the second part, which covered the second part of the season where they got knocked out of the Champions League by Real Madrid, but they won their seventh Scudetto, and Buffon retired and all this stuff. And they're talking to Chesney, and I think it's interesting that he was willing to come to Juventus with the intent that he was going to replace Buffon in a year or two years, you know, whenever Buffon left. But he's like, I I was starting every game where I used to be, and I forget where he was right before that, but he took the the risk to go to this big club and not play every game, you know, not play less frequently with the knowledge that he was going to step into that role once Buffon decided to retire. So someone like Longley, even though he was starting a lot at Sevilla, he's probably willing to take that risk now, especially because he's young. Yeah, and also it's a step up, right? I mean, going from Sevilla to Barcelona, so obviously just getting more important matches um, and just understanding the culture of of Barcelona. I, I like these signings where, you know, they're not, they don't have so much pressure to perform right away. They can kind of ease into it and then have a longer sustained success with our club. Right. Now, whereas if we go into the uh, the sort of Eric Abidal's shopping list, loading up the midfield, uh, these are more uh, potential things. A lot of these signings, uh, with the exception maybe of De Jong from Ajax, uh, they would have pressure on them immediately. And honestly, Abidal stepped into this new role uh, over this year as technical secretary of professional football. So he's second only to football sporting manager Pep Segura. And it seems like he is really coming in hot with his job. You know, of course, he's we've got the Arthur deal, got that done. Longley deal, got that done. And now there's this potential Eden Hazard move. So the, the talk is heating up over Hazard as Barcelona's next big target looking to fill the void left by Iniesta's departure with a, a high-quality elite midfielder. And apparently Chelsea is comfortable with letting him go. And if Barca were to match his current wage at Chelsea, he would be one of Barca's highest-paid players. So, of course, the pressure would be on immediately for him to deliver. Yeah, and I don't know how I feel about this rumor slash signing. Obviously, he's a great talent and so forth, but I just think it's too expensive. I don't know. Mm-hmm. I just... Um, I, 
obviously he would help with the midfield, right? Just giving that attacking uh, presence and so forth. But I don't know if he completely covers what Iniesta did, you know? And so I don't know. I prefer, like you have on the list, you have another midfielder from Ajax. And I just kind of see the trend of what Abidal is trying to do with these younger players at cheaper rates that we can get them in and groom them for the Barca style. Now, obviously, you know, Hazard is such a sexy pick, right? Like he just had a great World Cup. He's sexy. Yeah. <laughs> you see his legs, man? They're like tree trunks, but he's like, yeah. you know, five nine or whatever. But it's just, I don't know. I just I'm always I don't I'm always kind of cautious with these huge blockbuster deals, especially with Hazard. You know, being he would be the highest paid on the team, one of the highest paid. Um also let alone the transfer fees that would be over. 100 maybe 150 i don't even know and so for me i would just rather go with the young route groom them because we still have Messi, we still have suarez i mean we still have enough firepower the problem isn't our firepower it's more about our you know kind of holding midfield that type of of thing with rakitic and busquets and someone else to play with those two guys you know i don't know that's just my opinion i i think it's just too much money I just, that's what I just, I think it's too much money for what he's going to give us. Yeah. Now, I guess that makes me think about Coutinho, right? Because we, we generally think of Coutinho as a forward, but he, he can also be more like that attacking left midfielder. So what do you think of a, a midfield of Busquets, Rakitic and Coutinho and knowing that, that Vel Green is probably going to want to play a four four two, you know, some fourth guy in there. Yeah. Maybe I mean, including Messi in that. I don't know. Yeah, I mean, that's the thing is that with um, with Coutinho, he gives us so much flexibility, right, to play in the 4-3-3 up top or playing midfield. So that's a really hard thing to, you know, dissect. I mean, obviously, like you said, Valverde is going to obviously go with the 4-4-2 more often than none. I don't know. I just, like we talked about, I just want to see Messi in the playmaking role, and I just need Suarez to have a partner up there that's a true striker partner and not someone who's just going to be floating and make it easy for defenses, right? Um, like you said here, also Tiago is another option. People on social media love that as well. I mean, for me, out of the three guys that you've, we've, we're going to talk about right now, that Eden Hazard, uh, Tiago, I would rather go with the Ajax guy, Dijon. I'd rather go with him being so young at a cheaper rate, someone that has the potential that someone we can groom for a longer term at a cheaper rate. Yeah, well, real quick, uh, apparently Abidal is pushing to, quote unquote, bring Tiago home. Uh, and an article in Sport last week suggested that he was uh, trying to do that, tr- trying hard despite Arthur's arrival. And uh, it also went on to say that Valverde is in agreement with Abidal uh, that Barca needs an elite midfielder. And that's where we sort of wind up with the Hazard talk, right? Because Arthur is a great signing, but he's also a little bit more for the future. Um, you know, someone like Hazard would be for the moment, presumably, right? And then Tiago would be sort of in the middle there. He's not quite at the level of Hazard, or at least not the notoriety. I think he has, he definitely has quality, but uh, Bayern Munich is willing to sell him, and Thiago himself is interested in moving back to Barca, but then there is Frankie de Jong uh, also. He's a 21-year-old midfielder from Ajax. He's on the radar, and apparently Ajax has been reluctant, but they just uh, signed or re-signed uh, Dali Blint to Ajax. Uh, he used to play there. He went off to the Premier League, and now they got him back. And that might allow for De Jong's exit. And they, although they were reluctant, uh, Barcelona are apparently willing to pay about 50 million euros, which is 
a pretty sweet deal for Ajax for that player. So they are willing to make an investment in him. And but what's funny is, you know, compared to an I to a Hazard signing, that's pennies or exactly, euro, that's, euro pennies. Yeah, yeah, euro pennies, euro centavos, as we <laughs> like to say, right? I mean, this is the thing. Do we really need an elite midfielder, Brian? Do I don't we know. Really need it? I don't know. We have. I would say we have an elite. We have an elite attacking force, and we have an elite defense, right? Our midfielder midfield is, I would say, above average. It's not elite. Complete, you know, if we take the whole, it's not elite, but it's still very serviceable. And if we take last season as a whole, the midfield was fine. The midfield was fine. It was just in those couple matches, especially against uh, Juventus, you know, in the Champions League and so forth, or I mean Roma, um, where we fell apart. And that had nothing to do with not being elite enough. It was just we weren't rested. We weren't up to the game. You know, it was that one match. So for me, that's why I prefer the Frankie de Young. I just think the price, the potential, how old he is, I just think it's a longer-term project. I mean, we still have Rakitic, Busquets. We're going to have Arthur. You know, I like these signings better. I just, you know, I like the way the trend is going as opposed to trying to make a splash for $120 million for Thiago. And who knows how many games he's going to play, you know, because he's been injury prone. And I know he fits the system. And I know Hazard is an elite uh, midfielder. But at the same time, I don't really think we need an elite midfielder at this moment. You know, I buy that too also. Because when I look at the roster, you know, we also have Denny Suarez, who, again, I think is looking better and better. The more he plays, he looks stronger. We still have him. Now we also have Arthur. And we have Busquets. And we have Rakitic. So we have high quality and experience in those two players. And we, of course we're bringing Elena up and he's recovering from injury. He should be back in September, but you know, we can groom them and bring them up. Hopefully, I don't know, is, is Busquets and Rakitic enough experience and quality in the midfield to help those younger guys get settled? You, you, you seem to think that they are, um, you know, yeah. I'm, I'm not so sure, but also remember your boy, Sergio Roberto, My you know, boy, Sergio Roberto. your boy, Serge Bob, you know, like what if they can... convert long lay into a right back instead of playing him at center back. Oh, and now Sergio Roberto's right in the midfield. Yeah. That's another thing is that Sergio Roberto is a great midfielder. I'd rather take him over a lot of other midfielders. You know, obviously I wouldn't take him over Hassard, but I'm just, I'm just talking in the physical sense of dollars and cents, right? Just trying to stay on a budget, not to uh, blow your load on Hazard, you know, just right. for the 120 million, just for the name brand, the t-shirt. I get that. Everyone likes the sexy pics, you know? Yeah. But, but also, just, yeah, that Neymar money has been spent now because we got yeah, Dembele, exactly. we got and, Coutinho. It's like, we don't, we're not swimming in cash like we were last year after that Neymar thing. Yeah. And that's why I like the trend of trying, if we can get the Dijon, I'm all on board. I like that a lot. I like that signing preferably to the Hazard or Tiago signing. Yeah. Okay, cool. Thank you. Yeah, good. We agree. <laughs> now, there's a couple of news things that I want to talk about. And, of course, the main thing is the Spanish Super Cup because it has been decided and agreed upon that the Spanish Super Cup between Sevilla and Barcelona will be played as a one-off match on August 12th. And I don't know if this has been done before or maybe in the distant past, but that it is different from how it's been in recent history as a two-leg tie but the venue is still to be determined but talk of playing it in Tangier is still on the table and it seems to be the only thing that anyone is talking about at this point even the wikipedia page for the 
for the game already has named a stadium in Tangier as the venue, but I couldn't find any confirmation on that. The president, the new president of the federation is off to an amazing start, right? With the whole... <laughs> Fire the national team manager. <laughs> exactly. That whole issue with the World Cup, right? Then letting um, year ago and then having Luis Enrique, who we're going to talk about that just signed as the new national team coach. But then this whole debacle with the Super Cup. This guy is a complete loose cannon. Like he is either black or white. He doesn't see the whole picture and trying to um, make the best thing for both clubs. He's just... This is what it is, and that's it, you know? Yeah. Um, I just understand how Tangier, yeah, I get where it's at and everything on the map, but it's just how did they determine that, you know? Like we talked about in the last podcast, it should be in Madrid where it's central to both teams so that both fans can go. I don't mind that it's a one-off because I think this 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 match is, you know, it's a little bit of BS exhibition match, you know, just a glorified exhibition match. However, you know, what Sevilla did was they included this game as their season ticket pack. And that's where the biggest problem comes from. You know, they're trying to get that extra game for the for the home and away. Again, try to have it at the Wanda. It just solves every problem. It's a huge stadium. They can accommodate half of Sevilla's fans and half of Barca's fans. Or, you know, just move the date. I mean, these are other things or just, I don't know, but Tangier is just a completely illogical place to have it because for Barcelona fans, there's only two ways to get there. It's very difficult. And Sevilla fans just as bad as well, you know? So you're going to have low uh, turnout. You're just going to have a local turnout more than anything. And La Liga is not trying to push into Tangiers, you know, it's not, it's not like this new up and coming market that they're trying to expand to. So I just don't understand any of these decision-making here. Well, okay. The real question is who does it benefit? Does it benefit Barcelona in any way? I do know from our friend Michael Miller that there is actually a pretty strong contingent of of Barcelona fans in Tangier, or at least in Morocco, somewhere in Morocco. So maybe there's a benefit there for Barcelona. Uh, I don't know how it might benefit Sevilla. Does it benefit La Liga or Rubiales personally in some way? We don't know, but there has someone has to be getting something out of this. And you know, maybe we don't get anything out of it, you or I. But maybe someone gets something out of it. And I I think there might be something in this for the club. Barca is really open to it. So there might be something in it for them. Yeah, I mean, that's a good point. However, uh, I just, like I said, it's not like it's going to the U.S. where it's this huge uh, market that's untapped with lots of money. I'm not saying there's not fans in Tangiers, you know. I'm not saying there's no, there isn't fans in Morocco. And this, I'm not saying that at all. I'm just saying in a logistical standpoint to try to appease both Sevilla and Barcelona clubs with their fans, have it in Madrid. That's just the easiest thing, right? This solves all the problems. And I understand probably now with Madrid or the Wanda, there may be a calendar snafu there too. That maybe that's why they can't have it there. Sure. Maybe they just can't be trusted. Maybe that's the other thing. (laughs) (laughs) But well, well, it it looks like it to me. I I think the, the smart money is on, Tangier as the venue so we'll we'll wait for that and we'll I mean it should be a fun match we'll see we'll see how it goes but speaking of Rubiales and his great start as the president of the RFEF maybe the one thing he did right but I don't know is he hired Luis Enrique for the Spain job Uh, and he's going to be on at least until the Euro 2020 depending upon results he might be kept on and you know it made me think you know, Lucho has had a pretty charmed career so far, right? He went from Barca B to Roma for one year. And in that year, they were seventh place in Serie A, down from sixth place the previous year. They didn't qualify for the Europa League. They were knocked out of the Coppa Italia, 
Coppa Italia in, in the quarterfinals. And then he goes to Celta for a year where they were knocked out of the Copa del Rey early. They wound up ninth in La Liga, which was up from 17th the previous year. So he definitely did something at Celta or it seemed like he did something at Celta that really improved their performance. And then he goes to Barcelona, of course, managing the first team for three years, where he won most of his trophies. One Champions League, two La Liga, three Copa del Reyes, and that included the treble in fourteen fifteen. So I'm just wondering, is Lucho a wonder boy, right? He definitely did something noteworthy at Celta, lifting them up in La Liga by a big margin. But his success at Barcelona, I think, had more to do with the players he had and a little bit of luck than any kind of uh, than any particular genius on his part as a manager. That's interesting. Um, I mean, I think for me, we're going to see this year because if Val Green can do something awesome again this year, then I'm going to lean to more that it was luck and what you said. It's the more of the roster, less than Lucho. However, I think this is a perfect job for Lucho because Lucho doesn't want to work full time. <laughs> I think that was one of the, no. I'm I'm serious. I no, think this no, is one I of the. This is one of the things that he got burnt out of Barcelona was the day in the day out uh, monotony of being the coach. I think being the national team coach suits him way better because it's just three months out of a time, you know, three months here, two months there. It's not like a, the daily grind. I think he's going to be more pleasant with the media. Uh, that was the other thing they were bringing up here in the Madrid media was, is he going to be pleasant with the media? And they, of course they showed all his sound bites when he was with FC Barcelona. And I just think, like I said, it just ran him down. Also, he likes to have his free time. He likes to do his triathlons, his bike riding. Right. So again, this this suits this schedule suits him perfectly, and I think he still wants to be involved in football in some capacity. So I think it's a good hire. Um, I just, you know, there's just a lot of things because he has such kind of not the best relationship with Real Madrid and Real Madrid players. So that's going to come into play. He's going to have to, Lucho's got to pass the olive branch to them, you know, to make sure that he can get some Real Madrid players and play for them. Um, because there's been a little bit of bad blood, especially when he was a player going back and forth. So, Yeah, I think that, I, that's going to be the hardest part. And that seems to always be the hardest part for a Spain manager, right? Is getting the players... The, the players seem to generally be okay with each other. Um, it sort of depends a little bit on what the current climate is between the two main clubs, right? Between Barcelona and Real Madrid. But also, so, like, the players can get along with each other fairly well because they're professionals and they just, they understand their job, I think, a little bit more. But also, like you're pointing out, the manager making the players feel comfortable with with him as being on their side. And it's probably not going to help if, if Luis Enrique, you know, picks a starting lineup for Spain that's 80, 80% Barcelona, for example, right? That's That's going to ruffle some feathers and... We'll see how that goes. And that's always the problem with a Spain manager is how to navigate those those waters because the rivalries in La Liga are not like rivalries here in the U.S. They're political. And when it's political, it gets ideological. And when it's ideological, feelings get very stirred up. Yeah, you have a great point there. And again, I, I think he's going to be okay because I just don't think he's going to be under such pressure because of how bad they did this year, you know? So anything is going to be an improvement. So I think he's going to be, I think he's the right man for the role. I'm curious to see how, like how he's going to treat the media, how he's going to treat the real Madrid players. And also that dichotomy, like you said, with the political issues and, and Barca and real Madrid going forward. Yeah. But I also like what you pointed out about the fact that he doesn't want to work every week. You know, he he's he's happier to maybe do some planning, do a lot of planning ahead of time. And then some training sessions, a few matches, 
you know, get those friendlies out of the way or like do those qualifying matches, you know, two at a time. And then you've got one month of the Euro, right? So just a, a short burst of intense work, but also, but otherwise just planning throughout the year, scouting, looking at the players, deciding who you want in the lineup and being a little bit more solitary. He seems, he does seem to like to work more alone or with his little group rather than having to manage the team week in, week out and manage the media week in, week out. Yeah, that's a good point. And like, for example, when they, they were waiting for a statement from Luis Enrique for like the longest time and they had to go to France to find him because he was watching his daughter do equestrian or something like this. And they were just asking him questions, you know, or, you know, just basic questions. But he, he's that type of guy. He just loves doing his free time, but also being football. And so that's why I think this is a perfect fit for him going forward. So again, they have to do better than they've done the last three um, campaigns because the last three campaigns have been utter failures and they need to do better with the, with the talent that they have for Spain. Yeah. You know, I can definitely sympathize with that. That's exactly my approach to this podcast is, you know, I like to do my free time, but I also like to be football. Yes. <laughs> yeah. You, you are the Lucho of our pair. Yes. How about that? <laughs> I wake up, I wake up the morning that we record. I look at the news real quick. I type some things up and then we go. So that's, that's how, that's how it gets this good. <laughs> yes. That's how we're podcast professionals. My preparation, friend. preparation, preparation, preparation. <laughs> Barca Talk is written by Gabriel Quiroga and myself, Brian Henderson. Editing and music is by Brian Henderson. Social media management by Gabriel Quiroga. Tell a friend about us and become a supporter of the show. Just kick in a few bucks a month at our website, barsatalk.net. Until next time, Bisca Barca. Podcast Network.